Oh, if you haven't caught on, we're going to be studying some parables. And I've, just, I've, I've decided that we're going to take the whole month of August to do this. And I think for most, they have an understanding what a parable is, but often I think people misunderstand a parable. Can I take a minute, just kind of break this down for you? So people say a parable is a story that Jesus would give. That is correct. But often a parable that Jesus has given is not very understandable. It's not clear. You say, well, everything Jesus does is clear. No, that's not true at all. For a matter of fact, he intentionally made some of the parables in such a way or presented in such a way that it wasn't clear so that you would be provoked to think on what he said. He actually said in chapter 17 of Matthew, he said, I've actually, I'm going to paraphrase here. He was telling disciples, some will understand and there's some that will not understand. And intentionally he made it where they wouldn't be able to understand. Now, you would think, then what's the point of giving a parable if you can't walk away and understand what you're teaching? This is the reason why. There's a diverse crowd of people that gathers together to hear Jesus speak. Within that diverse group of people, you had Sadducees, you've had Pharisees, and you had non-believers, and you had believers. And then you had some that were just there out of interest. So when he would present a truth by using a parable... Often what would happen is you would have those that were Pharisees that showed up and they're like, I've heard so much about him. I want to find out if this is really the Messiah or just a psychopath. So when Jesus would begin to present a parable and he's talking about a farmer and he's sowing seed, immediately in the, thought, the, the minds of these Pharisees, they would think, yeah, he's a psychopath. He's crazy. None of this makes any sense. He's not of a concern. He's no concern of ours. And they'd move on. Kind of like they looked at John the Baptist. Now, different theologians think different ways concerning this. Some believe that that was, that was Jesus' way of buying more time before the crucifixion so that they weren't already, so that they weren't plotting before the time has come. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. But Jesus said on a number of occasions, it's not my time. Because there were circumstances that looked like they were going to make a move and put him to death before as we know, his time has come. So, and then, and then you have others that are standing there like, I believe in this guy because I've seen him work in my life and I've seen him do miraculous things. So they already believe in him. And then there's others that believe in him to be the very Messiah. And um, so they're thinking when he gives this parable, oh, this is directly pinpointed toward me. This is, this is me he's talking about. I'm, I'm the prodigal son. I'm the wayward son, or in some cases, I'm the one that is represented by the seed that fell on the stony ground. And so they begin to think on these things. Now, there's some parables that literally look like, um, they're almost like uh, riddles. You, you're thinking to yourself, what did you mean by this? And even the disciples would say, okay, now that they're gone, can you break this down and explain it? Because we really didn't understand it. And so Jesus would break it down for them. And then there's other times it's very clear. It's like it's obvious what's being said here. And then there's those few times where Jesus doesn't give an explanation. He just throws it out there. And then you're to chew on it. And you develop these wonderful, beautiful ideas of what Jesus is saying, and that's why the Holy Spirit is so beautiful for us today as believers because he begins to speak to us through that. It's pretty, pretty amazing. I love the fact that God has designed us to be thinkers. If you're not a thinker, you need to become a thinker because you were designed to be a thinker, so you figure through these things as God starts leading you. That's why 
we study to show ourselves to prove unto God. We need to read God's word and begin to study it because some things are the open revealed will of God and some things are the closed revealed will of God. In other words, it's revealed in scripture as we read it, but it's not necessarily clear cut. We kind of chew on it, meditate on it as the word of God says. Is everybody with me? So uh, parables are really exciting and um, they're not just stories. They're important to understand because parables are this clarity of God coming to earth to show what mankind was meant to be. Adam failed. He's the first man. The second Adam, the Bible refers to as Jesus. He's referred to as the second Adam. In other words, I've come as God in flesh to show you what the original Adam was meant to be. And I'm going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth to show you that mankind is meant to react and act like this. And this is what my heavenly father wants you to do. This is the way you were meant to be. This is the way you should be. Is everybody following me? And so it's always pointing to the heavenly father. It's always pointing to the reality of what we were made to be. And so here we are in one of my favorite parables in the Bible. And I have a couple of favorites, but this one is at the top of the list. And so it's in Matthew chapter 7. You can use your, your Bible app or maybe just open the Word of God and uh, follow along with me. So in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, we're going to read it in just a second. This is the parable of the two builders. And uh, it's, it, it's, at the, it's at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So it starts off in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7 with the word, therefore. Um, it's the first word in the parable. And the importance of this word cannot be overemphasized. It shows that the parable is linked to the previous passage. And so the parable uh, needs to be understood like this. Jesus was preaching and teaching uh, previously to this parable that is given. And it was at that point at the Sermon on the Mount that he explained some crucial things to the people. So here's this multitude of people, and Jesus is preaching directly to them, clearly to them. It wasn't parables that he was giving them uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. He was giving them truth, okay? And we see this in not only in uh, Matthew, but we also see it in Luke, okay? And so the parables that he is giving now in Matthew chapter 7 is to illustrate and explain how crucial what he just previously preached was. In other words, it's like this. He gives truth, absolute truth. This is the way it is. And now I'm going to illustrate to you what happens if you don't apply what I just told you. You hear the truth, now you apply the truth. If you don't apply it, this is what happens. And I'm going to paint this beautiful picture for you so you can have a better understanding. You know what the problem with people is? We do not like to listen. None of us like to listen. If you like to listen, you're an odd, unusual person because we, just by natural the way naturally we're born to just do our own thing and think our own way. And so when it comes to my wife and she's trying to speak into my life about something we need to do, often I just, I, I'm focused on something else. May I have your attention, please? Yes. If there's a Dave Liuzzo in the library, please come to the customer service desk. That is never. Dave Liuzzo. Did this just happen? I don't know. Can you pay? <laughs> the adventures of the library, right? If you join us by way of podcast, I've been just asked to go to the, the front desk. I might be in trouble. Oh, that's so weird. I immediately thought it was a prize. I was like, you won. If, I hope so, or I'm going to jail or something like that. 
Oh, we'll find out. Brio, come back and let me know if I have to step away, which would be so unusual. All right, so check this out. Sermon on the Mount. How many, are very fam how many of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Would you raise your hand? All right, you're pretending or are you serious? You really got there? Okay. All right, well, Sermon on the Mountain takes place uh, in Matthew chapter 7. It's 1 all the way through verse 23. And, and it begins with the warning of, 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 of judging. The world loves this. Judge not lest ye be judged. But the reality was this. Do not throw judgment on somebody if you're practicing those very things in your own life. It's called being a hypocrite. So he teaches the importance of being right with God before you can be, you help others to be right with God. It's like Christian. He has an obsession with Oreos. I go in his room. He has a stack of, of Oreos. And I say, Christian, you know, that's not a good idea to constantly be eating so many Oreos, especially in one setting. That's me speaking in his life. You could call it judging, but that's not what I'm doing. I am speaking directly into his life because I love him. This is a truth. And you can interpret it by, you could say, well, you're judging. But the reality is, according to scripture, this is truth speaking. Now, I'm judging in a way that I shouldn't if I go into the kitchen and, and I start making a sandwich and Christian follows along behind me, goes in the cabinet, and there's a little sign that says, these are Dave's Oreos, do not touch. And there's like 15 packs. So, you know, that, that becomes uh, where I am standing in judgment of being a hypocrite. I'm going to pause right here because we're in the library and things where. Do I need to go up there? Your keys were left in the main library. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness your library card was attached. Wow. <laughs> this is a great day. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Can we believe this just happened? I got <laughs> in the library. I'm just feeling really comfortable right now. I... It's great. <laughs> All right, y'all. Here we go. Matthew 7, 6, 1 through, uh, 6 through 12 continues the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he's teaching on the provision of the Heavenly Father that God's going to provide it as long as it's his will. This is a part that I would really get messed up with. Even at the time of Christ, I still get messed up with this today because knock and it shall be opened unto you, seek and you shall find, ask and it shall be given unto you. All of those references about you, if we were to ask, God's supposed to give. It doesn't work that way. It has to be within his will. That's when I get really messed up because I want it to be my will, not God's will. I want to see Logan, my nephew, have complete victory over his cancer. We want to see that for your father. We want to see, we want to see those that are struggling with sickness and disease have victory over those things. And when it doesn't happen, we're frustrated because we've, we did exactly what God has asked us to do. We sought after him and we prayed. But Jesus is telling the multitude at this very moment, the Sermon on the Mount, that it doesn't work that way. It has to be within the will of the Father because the will of the Father sees the bigger picture. And then he goes on from 13 to 23 and continues to teach and illustrate the alarming amount of people that claim to know God, but they live a life that's contrary to God and that they're going to hell. And he emphasizes that there's so many people on the path of, to hell that, that they're missing the reality of what the Bible truly says about a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And then he explains the reason why is because they've been listening to false doctrine and these, these, those professing to be uh, preachers, but they're literally in wolf's clothing. And so here's this big picture of the Sermon on the Mount where he's investing into the people, the multitude of people that are standing and sitting amongst the crowd 
And then he says, I want, I'm paraphrasing, I want you to understand everything I just said. I just invested in you. Now, if you have ears, I want you to listen. And then he goes into the parable, which takes us to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And this is where he brings it all together. He said, I've just, I just preached, I just teached, I just, I just invested in your lives about not being a hypocrite, having fruits of the Spirit in your life, making sure you understand how crucial it is for you to understand that there's multitude of people that claim to be believers, but they don't show it in their lifestyle. It's contrary. And now... I want to illustrate by giving a parable. So here we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him unto a wise man. There it is. Therefore, everything I just said, if you will listen and apply it, then you are like a wise man, which built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And he said, now wait, if you are not like this man, then there's only one alternative. You are a foolish man, which is verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. He says, there's two men here. And he gives a comparison of the two men. They both knew truth. The Bible says in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine, they understood truth. But both also had a dream to build a house. They wanted to do something grand with their lives because the house here represents their life. It's symbolic. They both had a dream. Every one of us have a dream to have a wonderful life. We want to be successful. We want to be healthy. If you don't have that dream, there's something really odd. And you're probably like the guy I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the French guy that was just living every day by this shut-down building, this abandoned building, the French guy that didn't want my food that I was going to give him from the sincerity of my heart. you got to have goals. You have to have desires to be something better than just an average individual. And these guys had this goal. And so they wanted to build a house. That's their dream. Okay, here's something you really have to understand before we go any further. The word house in the Bible represents a couple of things. One, it represents your life. Okay, that's pretty clear. Right here, it's illustrated this is your life. Okay? Another is it represents a family. If you go to the Old Testament, you've heard the phrase house of David. It represents a family. It also represents a ministry of the church. The church is called the house of faith or the temple, the house of God. Everybody with me? And then it represents a society. God's people were called the house of Israel. You notice the word house. Even today we have the White House or the house of Congress. Everybody got me? So here's the idea. You have a dream to build a life, but it's not just about your personal life. It's about your family. It's about your ministry. It's about your society. And Jesus is saying, everything I just taught on the sermon, the, 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 on the mount, I am wanting you to apply in your life in all of these aspects, society, ministry, family, and personally. And you must apply these because if you don't, Everything's going to fall apart because you have a choice. Hear and obey or hear and do it your own way. They both faced some, some storms. So they both knew the truth. They both had a dream. 
to build this life, this house, but they both face some, some storms. And this is very important. They face the same storms, the, the same exact storms. I don't know if they were in the same community. I don't know. All I know is they face the same storms. I hate storms. Today is a good example. I had no idea it would come down like that list today. After we were done with Magic Camp, I took all the risers that we use, all the staging, put them in the back of the truck, me and, me and Steven. And we're heading back to the church, and I said, I really got to, before we even got here, I said, I got to take care of these risers. They're very expensive. And Richard, our tech guy at Fellowship Baptist, would kill me if anything happens to him. Guess what happened? It poured. These risers are made of carpet. The hinges are metal, and the plywood on the bottom was drenched. We spent probably an hour and a half, two hours, blowing out every crack and crevice to make sure it doesn't rust or mildew. But I didn't know it was going to storm. I think Stephen heard me over and over again say, I didn't know it was going to storm. Why did it storm? Why did it storm? I was so frustrated. But here's the reality. In life, the storms will come. And it came for both of these guys. They both knew truth. They both had a dream to build a beautiful house, a life. They both were faced with the same storms, and they were unpredictable. I go on vacation in one week. Y'all ready for this? One week. And I have yet to reserve where we're going to stay. And there's a reason for that. Because every time I go on vacation, every time I go on vacation, there is a hurricane that takes place when we're in Florida. I mean, at least five times it's happened. And you say, well, just change the date where you're not in hurricane season. Well, that makes sense. Thank you, Sherlock. I did. And they still, they still find us. You know, I, I, I believe I could vacation in Arkansas and a hurricane would still affect me in, in Arkansas. Because they're so unpredictable. That's life. You don't know when they're going to come. It just happens. So I see the comparison here, but I also see a contrast. One was a wise man and one was a fool. The foundation is what separates the wise from the fool. It's how they built their house. It's how they established their life. The foundation is key to this story. So basically it boils down to this. The first step to building a structure, your life, your family, your government, your, your ministry, is having the right foundation. The right foundation is absolute truth. And absolute truth comes from what Jesus just previously preached on the sermon that he gave at the, the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, now, you have two choices. You will either hear and obey or hear and deny. If you hear and obey, you're wise. If you hear and deny, you're a fool. And he makes it simple. Growing up, what I used to do, we used to build shacks. And we called them forts. So my dad did construction. And I feel like this is what people do so often with their lives. They bypass the foundation and they have all these things that they want to make their house look beautiful, their lives. You know, they have this plan, if you would. I did it as a kid. It was a shack. So me and Tony, my brother, we'd build these shacks. We'd take all these remnants of, 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 of wood and windows from the jobs my dad did. And we'd go in the woods and we'd build these shacks. And we'd call them forts, right? Denny would always do his own. Me and Tony did one together. We'd go see each other's shack. We'd go visit each other's shacks. I'm like, wow, you got a great shack. This is cool. This is great. But you should come and see ours. You know, Dad had some wonderful junk that we put together. And so they'd come. Denny would come over and see ours. When our friends would come over, we'd show them the shack. You know, this is the hangout place. Then we'd go to my cousin Adam. 
And this guy was just a natural builder. I mean, we're, we're like 12 years old. He said, you want to see my shack? Come out. Come out to the woods. It's a two-story shack. And he said, here's the problem. You can't go, only one of you can go on the second floor because it's not really stable. And, and, and it looked really cool. He would even side his shack. He vinyl-sided the shack. I mean, he could make a wonderful bum. He would have the best shack. Here's the problem. None of our shacks had a foundation. We knew how to put the windows in. We even put a little staircase in. Well, at least Adam did. But all of them ultimately would fall. We would go to the woods after a big storm and it would just fall down. It would never stay up because the foundation wasn't there. I'm getting to a point. I feel like in life, we are so anxious to look good and look right, but we're skipping the foundation. And so it goes to this wise man in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him unto a wise man which built his house on a rock. The Bible makes it very clear. In the Bible, to be wise is the ability to hear and to apply spiritual truths to the realities of life. To hear and apply spiritual truths to the realities of life. Romans 10 verse 13 says it this way, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, there's something that's needed. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? Hearing is a necessity. And how shall they hear without a preacher? In order for me to believe, I have to hear truth. And when I hear truth, I can choose to reject it or accept it. And by accepting it, I become a wise man and my life changes. It's, it's putting to action your faith. Faith without works is dead. So let's make it simple. Ready? Let's test our houses. Let's see how many in here have a shack or you have a house because there's a distinct difference. The foolish man, before we dive into this, the Bible says in verse 26, and everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth in them shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The Bible refers to the word, is the, the, the word foolish as somebody that has rejected biblical principles. This is what you do. If you do not do it, you're a fool. Pretty simple. I think that's why Mr. T said, I pity the fool. Because it's so simple. If you don't do what I say, you're pathetic. I don't know. But for those that remember Mr. T, it's easy to slap walls up and skip the foundation. It's easy to look at life and say, this is the way I want it to be and bypass everything you need in your life as for the foundation. So here it is. The builder represents mankind. It represents me and you, our lives, each individual, okay? It, it, we're the builder. Now the home represents the life we choose to make. The foundation represents what we build our lives on. Pretty simplistic. So we're the builder. And we're developing our home, our lives, and our lives, according to Scripture, is our society, our ministry, our personal life, our family. And what we build it on determines if it's a shack or if it's a house. So we have a choice this afternoon. We can either build our lives on the teachings of Jesus Christ, hear them and apply it, or deny it. Your foundation determines your future. So now we're going to jump into it. The wise builder. 
Let's read it again, verse 24 of chapter 7. Wherefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, that's the key, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. A wise person not only hears what to do, but they also do it. They apply truth to life. Ellie just got her permit, right? Me and Ellie are out and about. And one of the things that she's really trying to figure out right now is when we go to a red light, turning right. She goes, Dad, I can turn right on red, right? And I'm like, yes, unless, unless it says no right on red. Or you can turn right when it's green. I said, Ellie, it's very important to understand this. We pull up to the red light, and she's about to go left. I said, no, you can't go left because it's a red light. Well, so it's not the same as going right on red? No, it's not the same. You have to have a green light or a green arrow. I'm like, okay. Ellie, understand this. This is very important for you to understand. If you don't apply what I'm saying, then you are going to wreck. You're going to get in a car wreck. This is crucial. So you have to hear it and apply it. So now every time we stop at the light, she goes right on red as long as it's clear. And she's running through this. Why? Because she's trying to apply what she heard. Hearing God's word is pointless unless we choose to apply it. The problem is truth not only hurts, you've heard people say that, truth hurts, but sometimes truth is difficult. To build on a solid foundation takes work. It's not easy. It's costly to get it done. It takes time to get it done, and that is not easy. That's why our shacks were made on dirt, because I didn't have time to go get cinder blocks, nor did we have the money to do cinder blocks. I wasn't going to pour a slab. And let me remind you, at the time of Christ, it looked distinctly different to have a foundation for a home. You've probably seen the, 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 the pictures online or watched videos and you've seen the houses in Israel that were built up on the cliff and uh, uh, on the mountaintops because it was a natural foundation. It was intentional, but it took work. It took time. And then you had others that would build theirs on the sand on the lower regions because the lower regions, it was easy. I don't have to climb up there. I don't have to establish anything. I don't have to hew out the rock. I don't have to deal with any of that. This is just easy. So immediately the people that are sitting amongst Jesus when he's giving this parable could relate. When Jesus said, the wise builder builds his house on the rock. And the foolish builder does not. Immediately they could understand the complexity of building on the rock, but the necessity of doing so. And so Jesus says, everything I just preached to you, Sermon on the Mount, you must hear and apply, and that is building on the rock. The biblical reference to the rock foundation is, is found throughout Scripture. And one of the most profound portions of Scripture that illustrate the necessity of this is in Matthew chapter 16 and 18, when he referenced this to uh, the Peter that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. In other words, a church cannot survive unless it's built on absolute truth from God's Word. That's why you see churches that are struggling when they have preferences over biblical truth. Y'all follow me? You have to look this way, do it this way, and act this way. Because this is what we do. This is the way we've always done it. Well, what does the Bible say? It's not about your traditions and your ideas. It's about biblical truth, and everything's based on that. I, I find a danger when we choose to raise our kids according to our traditions instead of according to God's word. <laughs> You're doing the same thing as those churches are doing when they say you have to wear a tie in order to go to church. This is God's house. By the way, this is not God's house. This is not God's house. If we were in a church building, it's still not God's house. 
It may be where God shows up because we are the church, but God's house was in the tabernacle, and that's no longer. You following me? So there's a misunderstanding here. We are the church. And so it is vitally important when it comes to Scripture to understand that in our personal lives, that our foundation is not based on tradition. Our foundation is built on the Word of God. After you get the foundation right, you start to build, right? I mean, the first thing is the foundation. And then you start developing the house. The question is, who is your architect? Who, who is it that wrote up the blueprints for your life? That's very important because all of us have an idea what we want our home to look like, our lives to look like. So you're like, well, I'm involved in church. I believe the Bible is the final authority. It is absolute truth. Good. You've got a foundation here, but it doesn't stop there. The application of what you believe about the foundation has to be all-encompassing. It has to encompass the way you vote, the way you raise your kids, the way you handle your, your spouse, the way you look at life. And that is when you start forming the walls and de decorating, if you would, symbolically speaking, the home. Proverbs 24, 3 says, Through wisdom is in a house built, and by understanding it is established. Except the Lord build the house, according to Psalms 127, verse 1, they labor in vain that build it. This is in reference literally to you and to me and to our society. If our society, if our lives are not based on truth, then everything that we put together may look good on the outside, but in reality, it's going to crumble from the inside. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded on a rock. The rains, the floods, the winds, they represent the trials of life. It's going to hit you from every side. If you think it's just going to be one aspect, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're so wrong. Every time I have a trial that comes in my life, something else happens that I didn't see. Some of them are just minute, like I lost my keys. <laughs> that seems small. I really, I mean, we, we, we have one set of keys. I lost my keys. It's a great day to illustrate that. And then on top of that, you find out something awful, like your wife got in a car wreck. And then we have other things that start coming our way. Some look like rain, some look like wind, but some feel like flooding. See, the house that's built on the rock, when the floods come and the waters pour off that cliff edge, it's falling to the main ground, the lower where the house was built upon the sand, and it starts washing his foundation out while you're firm because you're, you, you're prepared because you're built on a firm foundation. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. And the only way that we can be ready for that is to have a strong biblical foundation. Whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them. That's the key. It's knowing truth and applying the truth. Now, I want you to know the blueprints that God has provided for our lives are simplistic. He lays everything out that we need to know when building our lives. First, it's the foundation, but then we start developing the home, our personal lives, and we don't bypass any steps. I remember when we bought the house in Alabama. My dad is not an electrician. He's not a plumber. We were rednecks. You know the joke, you might be a redneck if you mow the lawn and you find a car. I'd mow the lawn, and I found multiple cars when we bought this house and two buses. 
It was a mechanic that owned it, a backyard mechanic. And so we would, when we were mowing the lawn, I remember it wasn't rocks that were flying out. It was spark plugs. Every time we hit a spark plug, it would fly across the yard. We'd find shacks everywhere. We had five acres. So our house was pretty rough. It was rough. It's beautiful now, but it took a long time, years and years and years. But my dad was so desperate to get power in the house that he ran the power himself. <laughs> He's not an electrician. Now, did the lights come on? Yeah, miraculously, they did. Was there a chance the house would burn down? Pretty good chance. Pretty good chance. I feel like that's the way we treat life. We say, you know what? We have a biblical foundation. But when it comes to principles, we bypass things. When it comes to consistency with our kids, we'd rather take the back seat and say, I just let it work, out, it work itself out. I just, I'm overwhelmed. I just can't handle this anymore. And before you know it, what's going to happen is that you're bypassing necessary steps and there's destruction going to take place even though you have a firm foundation because the other structure of the house is not right. Is everybody following me? It's kind of like this. I just met with an architect this week about a possible building we're going to use for Thrive Church. I've met with the builder, the architect, we're walking through, and I cast vision, my idea of what this should look like. This wall needs to go, and that wall needs to go, and then I want to bust out the fireplace, and we're going to go into the garage, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this. And the architect's just walking around looking, and he said, do you have a ladder? I said, no, and he said, well, give me that chair. So he moves the board that's in the ceiling to the, the see up inside the attic. He's looking around, he's taking pictures, and he comes down, and he goes, we can do this, but we can't do this. You know Why? Because he knows the structure of the building. He knows what we're able to do and capable of doing regardless of what my ideas are of my home. Are you all following me? Or my church. Then we go to the basement and he said, you can have up to this many people in this basement because you don't have another access for the kids to get out of the basement. I said, well, couldn't we just do this, this, and this? And I'm thinking of ways we can cut corners. He goes, let me tell you my job. As an architect, my job is to keep your people safe. So everything I write up on the blueprints is to keep the people in this building safe. You can't bypass anything. It has to be done right. Okay. Same goes with us. I feel like we all feel confident in the fact that we have our devotions and we have our church and we have our ministry and we have a foundation and we believe the word of God is the final authority. But ultimately the question is what about the structure? What about the structure? Because if the structure isn't right, you are still compromising your life, your family, your marriage. You can't bypass anything. So now you got the foolish builder. And this is interesting. And everyone that heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and, and, and winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great. It can't just say it fell. It great was the fall of it. The foolish builder represents the person that hears the truth and does not apply it. He does not apply it. The foolish builder is the one that always has high hopes of building this skyscraper. They're like, man, my life is going to be amazing, but I'm going to do it my way. It's just like me looking at the builder and saying, I think we got to do it this way. No, that's not going to work. If a fire happens, everybody's going to die. Well, I don't care. Well, you need to care because it's not going to work. That's foolish. The foolish person this foolish builder has hopes of making some beautiful structure. But let me tell you, in order to have a skyscraper, you have to dig deeper. 
There's never been a skyscraper that goes high into the sky unless the foundation goes deep into the ground. That's very symbolic because this is a reality. You will never have the life that God ordained you to have and be successful unless you're willing to dig deep in God's word and apply it to every aspect of your life, including your family. The foundation is not always the problem. When the storms come and the winds blow and the rains blow, sometimes we see the problem before the rains even come when it comes to a foolish builder. Let me give you an example. Going back to the house in Alabama. <laughs> you guys will probably think this house is horrendous. I remember before my dad passed away, he said, Dave, come in here. Is that a crack on the wall? And I'm like, yeah, dad, that's definitely a crack. And he said, walk the hallway with me. There was multiple cracks on the wall. I said, well, that's weird, isn't it, dad? He said, yeah. He said, I need to find out what's going on with the house. There's something wrong with the walls. Well, we had somebody come in and they looked it over and they found out that the walls weren't the issue. The foundation was the issue because it was built on these cinder blocks and the house was extended in the air, but there's certain cinder blocks were sinking into the ground. And those areas where it was sinking was causing cracks in the walls. And so the, real, the reality was, we didn't have any tornadoes that were tearing down the walls. We didn't have any storms that were an issue. The issue was the foundation wasn't right. They did something wrong and the house had to be jacked up and reestablished. And, and so what happens with so many people is they're not paying attention to that foundational issue. And all we're doing is walking the hallways and remudding. We'll patch this. We'll patch this. We'll patch this. Repaint it. Patch it. Repaint it. Patch it. Repaint it. We'll deal with this later. We'll deal with this later. We'll deal with this kid's issues later until something tragic happens, until depression sets in and the suicide sets in and all these issues start to develop. The cracks will keep on coming back unless the foundation is fixed. So here's where we're at. Still today, as they did back at the time of Christ, we have to search our hearts and know what is the foundation of our marriage? What is the foundation in of our parenting. What does it look like? Is it God's way or is it your way? Adam and Eve chose at the beginning of time to do it their way. They heard the truth but didn't apply the truth and it plunged the whole world into sin. And now we are dealing with it today. Same goes with your family. If you choose not to build your home, your life, your family on a firm foundation, eventually they're going to feel it. They're going to see the cracks. They're going to see the problems. And when the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow, according to Scripture, it will fall and it will fall hard. From your marriage to the obedience of your children, everything will start to crumble, just as it did at the beginning of mankind. I want you to just bow for a minute with me. It's simple. It's two choices. You can listen and obey or you listen and disobey. I, I don't know how else to put it. James 1.22 says, but ye be you doers of the word and not just only hearers. We have to apply what we know. I, I'm just going to simply ask you this. How many of you have made it a point in your life to not just to read the word, study the word, but apply the word? It's going to take some time, but in order to do it and do it right, that's the only way it can be done. So I'm asking you right now in your seat where you're at, how intentional are you about your walk with Christ? Um, are you applying it? 
My biggest fear with my children is, is the fact that they grew up in a Christian home. I can tell them the truth, tell them the truth, to build my home on the truth, but ultimately, eventually, they're going to have to build their own home, their own life. And how they apply these things is up to them. They can receive it or reject it. Let me tell you this. Will you guys look at me for just a minute? I go, I know it's weird, I go to the cemetery to study right before the service. And it's just a quiet place. I'm thinking on this, reading through this. And honestly, the, most of the things I preached in my truck didn't come out the way I preached this afternoon. I wish I would have recorded the message in my truck versus this message because it just sounded a lot better. <laughs> but the lady pulls up next to my truck. I knew who she was. I haven't seen her in years and years and years. She gets out of her car and she cocks up and then she immediately begins to talk about her family. And she's talking about what her son is going through and her daughter's going through. My son now is an atheist. My daughter's dealing with this. She's rejecting this. She's talking about some of the storms, right? She's talking about the winds and the floods that are coming in their life. And then she said something, because I haven't seen her in years. She said, I'm still in church. I just don't go to this church anymore. She goes, we go to a Mormon church now. And immediately I realize the foundation is wrong. And I wanted to speak into her life and say, hey, look, we can make some changes that will help your family. But if your doctrine is wrong, what you're putting your faith and trust in is wrong, then everything else will go wrong. So I gave her one of the cards from the church to say, I, I want to pray for you. I'm going to keep you in prayer. And I want to give you help, truth, right? But all I can do is speak it. It's up to the individual to apply it. You will determine whether your kids are messed up or successful. We're the ones that mess up the kids. <clears throat> we are. 99.9% .9 of the counseling we do as pastors is because mom and dad did something stupid. And then we're sitting down trying to figure out how to help this person not to do the same stupid thing so they're not messing up their kids. You know why? Because mom and dad had a bad foundation or no foundation and then the whole family started crumbling and then the kids build their little house and it's nothing more than a shack but they're like it looks good got a lot of likes but in reality they have no foundation and they start crumbling and questioning their identity and when hard times come they're like are you really God you're like yeah he's really God look outside it's pretty evident he is God he's in control of all things he just doesn't do it our way so it gets confusing the foundation's wrong. The foundation's wrong. <clears throat> I just feel like uh, if we don't get this under control, not just be hearers, but doers, then there is no hope for America. There's no hope for your family. There's no hope for my family. And there's no hope for my life. So I want to be the wise builder. And I want to make sure I not only know absolute truth, which is God's word, but I apply it to my life so I can teach my kids. So one day when they have the right tools because of God's word gives them the right tools and they start developing their own life, which they're already doing, they can start building on that foundation. But because they have free will, they can choose to do it their way or God's way, just like we do. But I'm not going to be accountable when they go to a counselor and says this, this, and this because I did my utmost best. And neither should you. We have to step back and look at the foundation and make sure it's right. 
So stop cramming down your kids' throats. Well, this is just the way I grew up. I'm just a mean man. I'm just edgy. I just speak my mind. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. That's your foundation, not God's. You don't provoke your kids to wrath. Shut your mouth. Step back. Reevaluate and approach it the right way. Correct? It's, well, I'm just this type of person. We need to quit using those crutches in life. I, me and Victor were talking about this. I said, I feel like there's two crutches in life. One is God and the other is Satan. Well, it must not have been God's will. That's why this is happening. Oh, it was Satan that did this. Well, maybe it's the person in the middle that's the problem. Y'all following me? Maybe it's just you. You're like, well, it wasn't God's will. It had nothing to do with God. It was something you developed. It's because your foundation. It's because of you. Satan gets blamed for everything. And I'm sure he's exhausted with it. I'm like, I'm doing a pretty good job. But man, quit blaming me for that. You're the idiot that did that. Come on now. Are y'all following me? Because you chose to hear but not to apply. And therefore, you're the fool. I don't want to be the fool. I mess up a lot. I just don't want to be the foolish builder.